Chapter 1, Introduction. First things first, thank you ever so much for buying my book. I am truly grateful. I want to help you to beat your fear of flying for good. I've been working as a fear of flying coach for over 20 years now. And I was also part of the Virgin Atlantic Flying Without Fear programme up until 2019, which I set up. This book is a culmination of all that I have learned, plus a tribute to all those that have beaten their fears. Some people I've helped now just love flying and even turbulence. Others have got to a place where they could now fly and it's more of a non-event. All of these people have ranged from the mildly anxious right through to people that have had panic attacks which stopped them flying altogether. And the list of fears are endless and here are just a few examples. Turbulence, weather and air pockets, fear of enclosed spaces and not being able to get out, fear of losing control, crashing, terrorism and security procedures, takeoff, landing and everything in between. One of the things that I know about you is that you're in fact a normal human being. The way that I look at it is that you've got into some bad habits and probably unhelpful thought processes. It is nothing that can't be changed. As humans, we are creatures of habit, and we get into habits of predictable behaviour. You probably have a typical chair that you sit in at home. You probably get dressed in the same order each day. Left foot, right foot. You probably even have a predictable pattern for cleaning your teeth. I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with these habitual patterns. All I'm saying is that humans are able to change habits if they choose to. It just takes a bit of work. So over the 20-ish years I've been helping nervous flyers, some huge things stand out to me. One of them is that I've been constantly staggered and amazed by how resourceful and determined humans can be. When a person sets his or her mind to doing something differently or changing an unhelpful thought pattern, it's incredible what can be achieved. This is what I've seen thousands of times. Ordinary people who have said enough is enough and then decide to change their behaviours quite fundamentally. These are the people that get rid of their fears. I absolutely know that you can beat this fear. I know you are an intelligent and capable person. There is actually nothing wrong with you, despite what you might believe about yourself. This book is my way of helping you. There is not a great deal of technical speaking here, so I want everyone to be able to feel safer about flying. It would be easy to use statistics and complicated physics, but that alone will not make you feel any safer. So I have chosen to use straightforward speak. I have even used a light-hearted approach in some places and in parts I have not pulled any punches because I respect you too much for that. So maybe some of my words you might not like as they are a bit blunt or could even seem flippant at times. However, I have carefully considered every word with the intention of helping you to get out of your own way and to get flying comfortably. I promise that I say what I say to you now with absolute respect, because I know you are ready to get rid of your fears.
Chapter 2, The Five Pillars We are going to work on this fear together as I take you through some facts, simple ideas, tips and things I just know to be true and helpful. But first, why do you want to beat your fear of flying? What is your goal here? Please think about this carefully. What is the upside and the downside of you beating your fear? Strange questions, I imagine? Here are some examples of what I mean by this. When I beat my fear, the upside. The ability to travel to foreign places for fun with friends and family. Ability to travel for work and business trips. My children not getting the fear. I can say, I have no fear of flying. When I beat my fear, the downside. I will now have to travel. I will now have to go on business trips. I might not feel safe. I might not like it. I will have to say, I have no fear of flying. I will not be able to watch those aviation programmes anymore, such as air crash investigation. I will have to give up being known as the person with a fear of flying. I will have to put up with airport security and delays. I will have to experience turbulence. So, when we beat a fear, we also have to give up something. In some cases, quite a lot. Having a fear of flying could well have been part of your identity for many years. You might be known for it amongst your friends, family and colleagues. This is a big deal. Giving up the fear means re-educating people around you as well. We all must walk towards our fears. Retreating or avoiding fearful things creates a half-lived life. Being fearful of flying stops us being able to make choices. At this point, I must share an observation with you. As you walk towards beating your fear, you will notice an increase in symptoms such as unhelpful thoughts or feeling more scared, just for a while. I promise that if you keep going, on the other side of the fear is a great place. Also, it will take some adjustment for people that know you to stop reminding you that you have a fear. Oh my God, Brian, have you seen that news story about the aircraft that... dot dot dot. Anyway, you get the idea. Let's get going. The five pillars this book is based on. Pillar number one. Fear of flying is not innate. At some point in your life, you learned it. And that means you can replace this with some new strategies and it's never too late. Pillar number two. Your commercial aviation knowledge has some gaps. In fact, if your knowledge is based on what is in the media, then most of what you believe to be happening or have heard about commercial aviation is nonsense. And that's putting it politely. If I had a dollar for every bit of nonsense I've ever heard about commercial flying, I wouldn't need to write a book. Pillar number three. Fear of flying is rational. Many people believe they are irrational for having a fear of flying. I don't agree. Fear is a natural or rational response to a threat situation. The only problem is that your assessment of the actual risk to you from flying is not correct. So in other words, your risk assessment needs some reassessment. If you can give yourself the time and psychological flexibility to reconsider the actual risks to you from flying, 
you can make a new assessment of the actual risk. Pillar number four. As humans, we can laugh at ourselves. As a species, we can stop ourselves doing things that are unhelpful, such as a diet. No other animal can master his or her basic instincts like humans can. For example, many people I know salute the magpie bird for good luck. Only a human would start a ritual like that, and only a human can stop, be incredulous, and say to themselves with curiosity, why the hell am I saluting magpies for good luck? What's that all about? And pillar number five, you are disrespecting yourself. I mean this with genuine compassion. You're being disrespectful in two different ways, and here is why. Number one, you are seriously underestimating how resourceful you are and what you are capable of. I totally believe that you can shift this fear. Your fear stops you making choices about how you travel, and this has probably limited your holiday and work choices. For some of you, has even stopped you going to important events such as stag on hen weekends, weddings, and even, in some cases, funerals. Your fear has also impacted lots of other people in your life right now. If they do travel with you, you are probably at best high maintenance and at worst, a right pain in the arse. Number two, you are disrespecting all the lessons that have been learned the hard way in commercial aviation. In commercial aviation circles, we call it tombstone technology. In that every single incident and accident that's happened ever has been learned from. Commercial aviation has become so safe because we have learned from the mistakes in the past. We learn from mistakes so they do not happen again. This has led to such important developments, such as human factors training and a no-blame culture. There is not one single point of failure when it comes to commercial aviation safety. Lessons have taught us that you need backups for everything and procedures for everything, and this stops us making the same mistakes from the past. Matthew Said, in his book, Black Box Thinking, puts it more eloquently than me, and I paraphrase. Everything we know in aviation, every rule in the book, every procedure we have, we know because someone, somewhere, died. We have purchased at great cost lessons literally bought with blood that we have to preserve as institutional knowledge and pass on to succeeding generations. We cannot have the moral failure for getting these lessons and have to relearn them. So you're not respecting all those people that have gone before you and died, making it so much safer for us all. I realise that this was perhaps a harsh message but it's important to be straight with you, isn't it? Now, I get it. To you, the nervous flyer, maybe flying equals dying. At the root of whatever it is you don't like about flying is the fundamental belief that you will die in some horrible fashion. Now, it might be hard to hear this, but in your heart, you know I'm speaking the truth, don't you? And I have to say this quite bluntly. And I'm not denying that there's a very, very, very slight possibility that you will have something happen to you on a commercial flight. 
but it is so, so remote. Even the chances of having an incident are incredibly slim. Commercial aviation becomes so safe that if you want to live longer, you should probably fly more often. You also know, somewhere inside you, that flying is safe and you want to be flying comfortably. So if you want to change how you feel about flying, please keep listening. Chapter 3. What is your mindset? Now, by this stage, you're either regretting the purchase or intrigued. I hope it is the latter, as I just want you to be able to fly. It is truly the gift that keeps giving, as the saying goes. It is also a gift for your children, partners and loved ones so that they get to travel too. I'm sure whatever country you're sitting in right now, listening to this book, it is a fantastic country. However, flying allows us to stretch our minds to experience the new and the unfamiliar. Mind you, as the world seems to get smaller, it seems harder to find places nowadays that don't have a Burger King or a Starbucks already there. So, what is your mindset? Stanford professor Carol Dweck reminds us that generally there are two mindsets available to us, which are choices we can make. A fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Professor Dweck noticed this in her students and wrote about this in her book called Mindset. She noticed that students with different mindsets or approaches to their learning would get different results. A growth mindset. People with this are constantly trying to learn, to grow, to better themselves. These are individuals who enjoy challenges and believe that their intelligence, talents and basic abilities can be increased or enhanced through hard work and dedicated effort. A fixed mindset. People with that believe that their intelligence, talents and basic abilities are innate. In other words, you are born with a certain amount of these things and that is it. So your fixed beliefs will hold you back from making positive changes. If you have a trait that you believe cannot be changed, such as your intelligence, your weight, or indeed your fear of flying habit, you will avoid situations that could possibly be uncomfortable or in that you think you are useless. On the other hand, if you can accept the idea that your habits aren't actually fixed, then that belief will be the critical first step to creating actual change in your life. Whether it's building a new skill or breaking a habitual way of thinking about something, such as fear of flying. Having the growth mindset will cement the belief that you are 100% capable of accomplishing any goal you set yourself. So what is your mindset? Do you believe that you can get over this fear with some effort? That you can learn something new about flying and start to feel differently about the whole experience? Do you talk yourself into or out of flying comfortably? Do you say things like, I will always be scared of flying, that's just the way I am? Or would you be willing to be a bit more flexible with yourself and say, I have had the fear of flying, but I know... I can feel better about flying if I keep going. Over the years, 
I have met thousands of people who have the growth mindset towards their fear of flying. They believe that they can do something about their fears and they're not stuck with it. Sadly, I've also met a lot of people who do feel stuck and have a fixed mindset. They say, I will never like flying, that's just me. Or, I can only fly short flights and not long flights. Or even, I'm only safe if I fly during daylight hours. I'm only safe if I sit at the front of the aircraft. Anyway, you get the idea. I believe we can always change our current situation if we don't try to be perfect straight away. We need to give ourselves permission to think flexibly about our fear and literally chip away at it. We need to do lots of tiny steps every day and it's a combination of those tiny steps that move us nearer to our goal. Essentially, we have to decide to walk towards our fear and not walk away from it, but do it one step at a time. You may have read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr Stephen Covey. One of the habits that Covey taught us is that we can always do something about our current situation. He called this the circle of concern and the circle of influence. If you were to draw or imagine a large circle on a piece of paper now, and then draw a smaller circle inside it until you have a donut shape, you would have the circle of concern and the circle of influence. Now label the larger circle things that worry or concern me, and then start to think about those things in relation to fear of flying. Some examples might be turbulence, feeling out of control, claustrophobia, terrorism, catching a virus from others, the noises of flight, takeoff, landing. You get the idea. Now write on the smaller circle inside your circle of concern and call it the circle of influence. The circle of influence idea teaches us to identify things that you can do in relation to the items in your circle of concern or worry. For example, if you don't like turbulence, what is within your influence that you could do to feel differently about turbulence? Some examples. Learn about commercial aviation safety training. Find out what a commercial pilot thinks of turbulence. Change thought patterns from turbulence is dangerous to turbulence is just movement of air and it's always there. You could just make sure you keep your seatbelt on during the flight so you cannot come to any harm. Those are just a few examples. Taking this approach to dealing with your fear of flying feels positive, doable and gains momentum. By identifying lots of tiny steps that you can take towards beating your fear of flying can feel very motivating and is extremely effective. So the combination of keeping a growth mindset and then doing tiny actions within your circle of influence will be a very powerful way to eventually beat your fear of flying. If you can accept that you are not perfect and it's okay to have the odd blip or setback along the way, then you will start to feel very differently about flying. Chapter 4. Familiarity breeds content. The more you can understand, the better. The more rational information that you have available to you, the more content you will feel with flying. 
Here are some facts for you to consider. Every flight, and I mean every flight, involves the following regulated areas doing their bit. You only see the flight part and only a tiny part of that too. Every single flight, including yours, has been planned for. Anyone that comes near commercial aviation, and that includes your flight, has been vetted, trained, checked and licensed. Here are just a few areas that touch your flight and every commercial flight. Engineering and maintenance, cabin crew, operations and crewing, airport operations, air traffic control, and of course, professional pilots. To most of the traveling public, there's no awareness of all these other professional teams working in the background to keep your aircraft flying safely. There's a hell of a lot that I could tell you about the training and regulations that all of these professions go through. You would be staggered. I've talked about these on my blogs over the years, and it always, always amazes and reassures people. Plus, let us not forget that all of these professions are highly regulated and monitored by government bodies. For example, in the UK, the CAA, the Civil Aviation Authority. In the US, there is the FAA, the Federal Aviation Authority. In Canada, the TCCA, Transport Canada Civil Aviation. And for the whole of Europe, it is the ESA, European Aviation Safety Agency. And in Australia, it's CASA, Civil Aviation Safety Authority. I think you get the idea. These are just a few examples, and every country has their own equivalent aviation authority. All of them work to agreed international standards of safety. And whilst we're talking about it, if any airline flies into your country's airspace, they must conform to your country's standards of safety, and they'll be banned from entry if they're deemed unsafe. A quick word about maintenance schedules and turnaround times. Many people have told me that I've seen what they consider to be a scruffy aircraft engineer doing the maintenance and they're only working on it for 30 minutes. And this has worried them. Maybe this is a thought that's crossed your mind. How can I trust them to fix my airplane when they're scruffy and they do it so quickly? Here's a thought. Even if you see an aircraft engineer and he or she looks scruffy, it doesn't mean anything about their abilities. If your flight seems to land and take off within 45 minutes, it does not mean it is unsafe. The safety and maintenance checks are legally regulated and they're non-negotiable. Did you know, according to the app Flight Radar 24, there are anywhere between 8,000 to 20,000 aircraft mid-flight at any given moment. So if you want some logical persuasion, Download the app and you will see thousands of aircraft being carefully controlled and moved around the world. And that's just a mind-blowing glimpse of all these professionals at work. Chapter 5. Stages of flight from check-in to climb.
To repeat a phrase from earlier on, familiarity breeds content. The more you understand about what's going on, the more content you will feel with it. Knowledge truly is power. Now, every flight that you go on, and I mean every flight, will literally go through similar, predictable stages. There'll be some variation, depending on airports, size of aircraft, weather, time of day, but essentially it's all the same. Remember, familiarity breeds content. The more we know about something, the more content we can feel towards it. Knowing that there are predictable stages to every flight is very reassuring. I'm going to go through each stage one by one. This chapter I'll cover from check-in to the climb, and the next chapter I'll go from cruise to landing. As I go through each one of these, I will explain broadly what is happening versus what you might think is happening. In other words, perception versus reality. I have found that our perception of what is happening is not the same as what is actually happening time and time again. For example, many flights I've been in the flight deck looking at the instruments. I can see that our altitude has barely changed or at worst changed a few hundred feet over several miles. I might have felt a slight wobble sat in the front. When I've spoken to a sample of nervous passengers on the same flight, they might say, that turbulence was all over the place, or I felt like we dropped thousands of feet. This is perception only. Our brains cannot compute what is actually happening. We trust our feelings because we do not have flight instruments to calibrate ourselves to. So with your assumed permission, I'm going to talk through the stages of flight, and as I do so, I'll be sharing some of the comments that nervous flyers have shared with me over the years. I promise I am not making these up, and I also promise that by repeating them, I am not laughing at you, and I'm hoping that you might even be able to recognise some of them yourself. Remember, one of the pillars of this book is that we as humans have the ability to step back from a pattern of behaviour, question it and learn to laugh at ourselves and say, why on earth did I think that? So lastly, please may I request some psychological flexibility as I explain each of the stages. Although I'm going through each of the stages in turn, there is a bit of an overlap that happens depending on different airlines, different aircraft type, different airports, different countries, etc, etc. So please don't discount what we are covering because I forgot to mention coffee is not always served with the main meal. Anyway, you check in at the airport. Thoughts, feelings and what you see. Security, passport check-in, ground staff, retail staff, food places, it's all very overwhelming. There's a buzz in the airport, but none of this helps me. Options, head to the bar, or pace about feeling more agitated. No one is scared as me. Look at all those bastards chatting away like nothing's wrong. Don't they know they're about to die? Going through security thinking, they look bored. How can it be safe? And they're not even checking it all properly. So the reality. 
Whilst you are pacing around the airport, or frozen in a chair, or sat in the bar, there's a lot going on you don't see. Did you know that cabin crew and the flight deck crew have also checked in and are going through their briefings? Your rested cabin crew are being tested on their safety and procedures. Your rested and tested flight deck are actively discussing the plans and backup plans for your route. They are talking through and agreeing everything from how much fuel, the weather, diversion options, takeoff procedures and all the what-ifs that you are worried about. You don't say any of this. The aircraft is being serviced as per the legislated standards and timings. The staff you see doing your security screen are very well trained and they are there to make it difficult for terrorists to get through because commercial aviation is not a soft target due to all the security and checks in place. And that's just the measures that you can see in place. There is a whole bunch of things going on which you never see or ever know about, such as, did you know that your bags are being screened when you are not there with them? At the airport, you only tend to see the obvious security measures, but there's actually a security process in place from the moment you book your tickets. At the airport, there's a lot more going on security-wise behind the scenes, and most of it you'll never know about. You might be sat watching the aircraft being emptied. You see aircraft on the ground, passengers leaving, bags being loaded. You'll probably hear a confusing message about who needs to line up for boarding and when. You might even feel nervous, or is it excited? Feels the same to the body, but your mind has decided what it means. You might even be thinking, that's too quick for us to be getting on. They're not checking it properly. Look at that scruffy engineer. Clearly, they do not look trustworthy. So the reality. All the procedures are heavily regulated and monitored. Every procedure and check is signed off by licensed engineers and countersigned. It is professionally maintained. There is much more going on than you'll know about. The aircraft you're about to get on is getting a full service and check over, including security searches. Do you do that for your car before every journey you take? Sitting on the ground in the aircraft, you see everyone trying to find their seats. No one is looking as scared as you feel. Steam coming out from behind the overhead lockers. You might even hear other passengers laughing and chatting. How dare they? Some parental nagging or shouting. You feel safe as not moving, but dreading moving. Sat on the ground in the aircraft. Weird noises, lights going on and off, bings and bongs which are clearly secret messages of doom between the crew. You might be thinking, what are they taking so long? Everyone seems to be rushing about. I could just make a run for it now before they close the door. Everyone is not scared. Just me. It's not fair. What are those bings and bongs? What aren't they telling us? So reality, in commercial aviation, it's all about procedures. There are no shortcuts for safety. You will hear weird noises as the crew communicate to each other using the internal phone systems. You will hear bings and bongs and nothing sinister is happening. The steam is the air conditioning packs starting up. Anything that happens that will affect your journey, the airline has to tell you. There is no conspiracy going on. They shut the doors. 
Oh my God. This is the moment of commitment. I can't get out. Now I feel even more claustrophobic. Maybe I could just run over and fling the door open. What's stopping someone else just flinging the door open in flight? You hear. Doors to automatic and cross-check or something similar. The door closing is a good thing. The doors are in fact plug-type doors, so they are slightly bigger than the hole they go into. The pressure in the cabin keeps the doors firmly closed. And once we're taken off, no one could open them. When you're on the ground, cabin crew monitor the doors to stop people opening them. The PA is telling the crew to arm the doors so that in the unlikely event that we need to leave the aircraft, the slide raft doors will work automatically. On the ground it is a slide, on the water it becomes a huge raft. The aircraft starts to reverse, so you see trucks, buses, engineers, steps outside the window disappear and you hear annoying PAs from the crew and pilots. It might feel weird because it's going backwards and you might be thinking to yourself, this is the moment of commitment. Oh, shit. So the reality, you are now committed to taking a flight. This is a good thing. The aircraft stops and the engines start. What can you see? Not much. Back of the seat in front of you. Floor if you're looking down to try and wish it all away. If looking out the window, you might see the control services on the aircraft being moved and tested by the pilots, some lights flickering, steam coming behind the overhead lockers, possibly. You hear lots of cabin crew or pilots talking on the PA in that weird way that we do. Cabin crew, up and down voice, pilots reassuring and posh, hopefully. Aircraft goes quiet, then one engine start, and then the other starts. Big sheets of metal start moving on the wings. The aircraft goes quiet again. You might feel terror, resigned. You might be thinking, I don't know what's going on. What are those secret signals and weird noises? The pilot sounds too casual. He said, hi, it's Nigel up the front. The reality. Once your aircraft has been reversed by the big tractor tug type vehicle, it stops. It is uncoupled. The lights and all the electrical things are powered by the auxiliary power unit, which is a small engine at the back of the aircraft. This gets turned off once the engines are running, which start one by one. There is a flicker and sometimes temporary darkness as the power source moves from the auxiliary power unit to the engines. This is normal. The working services of the aircraft, flaps, ailerons, etc., are moved to make sure everything is working before we start our takeoff roll. Any voice that you hear over the PA has been trained to the same standard, whether they sound old, young, less posh, very posh. The next stage is the taxi. You will notice that the aircraft starts to trundle out to the runway. In some airports, this could be 20 minutes. In larger airports, this could be an hour or more. You're probably thinking, why don't they just take off already? Let me get it over and done with. Cabin crew, if not already done so, will stand in front and show you what to do when we crash. I was just relaxing and that popped those bastards and made me feel scared again. Window blinds up, seats upright, tables away, aisles clear, the list goes on and on. 
So the reality, you're in a queue. You are being carefully manoeuvred around the airfield, keeping minimum separation between all the aircraft queuing to take off. When you are clear to move to the end of the runway to take off, there is a minimum time separation between each aircraft actually taking off. This is worked out and managed carefully so that a small aircraft does not take off too near to a large aircraft. This is because aircraft disturb the air as they take off, just like a ship disturbs the harbour water as it leaves. Commercial aviation, like any other gathering of humans, has to follow rules. If you go to a conference for work, someone will tell you where the exits are and what to do if an alarm goes off. Same for aviation too. It is about preparing you in the unlikely event something happens. The cabin crew primary role is safety. They are here to save your ass, not kiss it. Sorry, that's some aviation humour. The window blinds need to be up so that your eyes are adjusted to the outside conditions. The foot areas are clear, tables away and the seats upright to give you the maximum amount of clearance to get out quickly in the unlikely event we have to. Now when safe, it is time to take off. You will see everything whizzing past the window at great speed. You might hear engine noises increasing depending on where you're sat in the aircraft. You might even feel aircraft speeds and tilts back. You feel forced into the back of the seat by the speed. You might be thinking, will a tyre burst? What happens if an engine fails? Can they stop the aircraft if they need to? I don't like the speed. Reality, the aircraft is travelling towards the takeoff speed already calculated for your flight today. Also taking into account each and every time, wind speed and direction, temperature, weather, humidity, weight, fuel needed, cargo placement around aircraft, where the passengers are sitting, the routing, what to do if there's a failure of any sort, what if a tyre burst, engine fails, bird strike. The list goes on and on. The aircraft take off with plenty of capacity left over, so it's not using all of its engine power. There is plenty of runway left to either stop or go should a problem occur. This has already been worked out before the engines were started, back in the briefing room. The pilots are talking to each other, checking each other and the systems the whole time. The pilots have already planned what to do if they have to abort the takeoff or if a tyre bursts or an engine fails. They are in control. Believe it or not, it doesn't help them take off if you are holding the handrests, rocking or willing the aircraft into the air. The takeoff angle is approximately 15 degrees not 90 degrees like you feel it might be. Many feel like it is a rocket shooting upwards. Can you relate to that? Then, after surviving the takeoff and near-death experience, you level off about 1500 feet-ish. What can you see? Not much, maybe the clouds, maybe the ground at a distance, maybe you're still fixed on the headrest in front of you or staring at the floor. Maybe you can still see other aircraft around. You'll hear lots of weird noises, clunking, whirring, engine going quiet. You might even feel a sinking sensation falling back. The nose of the aircraft going forward, dropping. You might start to believe they've turned the engines off. We are sinking. There is not enough power. This is it.
So the reality is, this is a major part of the fear for many people, so I'm going to take a bit longer on this section. Every commercial aircraft flying out of every airport all over the world has to follow similar procedures shortly after takeoff. So knowledge is truly power. You can steady yourself knowing that the process is pretty much the same, give or take a few minutes. Straight after takeoff, there are loud clunking noises as the landing gear is pulled up into the aircraft. Huge barn-like doors close shut with masses of hydraulic accompaniment. About 1,500 feet after takeoff, the pilots reduce the power a bit as it significantly reduces the noise around the airport area. And any of those living near the airports, you will appreciate how noisy aircraft are. The pitch of the aircraft goes from about 15 degrees to about 12 degrees. You are still climbing, but you cannot feel it. To our primitive balance systems, plus our lack of visual information, because you cannot calibrate yourself against a fluffy cloud, you feel robbed of information. The effect upon you is discombobulating. You feel like you are falling back. Plus the engines going quieter, and you're convinced this is it. This is all part of the process. This will happen every single time and it's all normal. You are still climbing, but slightly less of an ascent. Also, the engines have been reduced in power slightly. Still enough power to climb, but a damn sight quieter. If you live near an airport, you will definitely appreciate this. So, to the climb. What can you see? Not much. Clouds outside. You might hear engine noise change, getting slightly louder for a short while. You may feel a change in movement, which feels disorientating. And you might be thinking, what on earth's happening? Reality, your aircraft and every other aircraft are strictly controlled by air traffic control. The pilots are given routings, heights, distance apart, and they adhere to them. This is good news. Your perception of movement when flying is completely inaccurate. We do not have the systems in our bodies to really feel what is happening. It is all just our mind conjuring up what might be going on based on what it thinks is going on. You will level off several times until you get to the cruising height as already planned for and agreed with air traffic control and the flight planners. Your aircraft will climb to different heights at different times. You never go from takeoff to 35,000 feet straight away. All of this is carefully controlled and planned. Chapter 6 The Stages of Flight from Cruise to Landing During the cruise, thoughts and feelings as you're whizzing along over the clouds, you get a sense of, we are just hanging here. What the hell is keeping us up? You're probably not asleep and you hate your partner who is snoring in that beautiful way right next to you. So your job is to concentrate to keep the flight in the air. If you relax, then something dire could happen. And why do people keep walking around? Isn't that dangerous? So the reality is, the pilots are looking after everything. They have processes that they follow, and they keep themselves alert. They take breaks. They are on it. 
so you don't need to be. They run periodical checks and are constantly thinking, what if? As they always have a backup plan. They know at all times suitable airports for medical facilities or if we have to or need to land for whatever reason. You are probably flying faster and higher than any of our tiny brains can imagine. Depending on where you are going, you could be travelling around 600 miles an hour and be 5 miles up in the air. Think about that for a moment. 400 tonnes flying at 600 miles an hour, 5 miles above the earth. What could possibly knock us off course now with that much power forging forward? Any slight wind movement, you call turbulence, is not going to affect us that much now. In fact, aircraft go through the sky a bit like a large ship would go through the sea. The aircraft are travelling along routes in the sky with set speeds, set altitude and headings and we just stick to it. Pilots are talking to each other on the same route, above, below, always aware of what's going on. We are all travelling in large motorways in the sky. We are held up at all time by physics so powerful it is hard to get our minds around. We're also well above the weather now, flying above the clouds. We like flying as high as possible as it uses less fuel and this is good for the airline and also for your ticket prices. So the weather. A lot of you will be worried about the weather and in particular lightning and turbulence. The bottom line is this. We are strictly controlled around what weather we can take off, fly in and land in. We have legal limits set for every aircraft type and airport. The aircraft are super strong and are not bothered by the roughest of weather. We move to smoother air when we can. And that's for your comfort only. That's it. So here are a few quick bits of helpful information. Lightning does not affect us. It can be a shock if you've never experienced it. I have been struck by lightning twice in an aircraft and to be honest, it was a massive disappointment. We are protected inside the aircraft and our electrical systems are shielded too. We are not earthed, so lightning strikes do not hurt us as passengers. Whilst I'm on the subject of electrics being shielded, that is why we can use mobile phones on flights now, just an aside. And shame, because I actually like the privacy of flying. Storms we can see on our radar and our routings will not let us within 10 miles of big storm clouds. Again, the aircraft are tested flying into storms like that, but obviously not with passengers on board. You might see big clouds out of your window, but it is a distortion and we're not that near. Again, this is for comfort only, not because the aircraft cannot take it. Turbulence can happen on any stage of the flight as it is just air movement. It does not affect the aircraft integrity and turbulence is only potentially dangerous if you're walking about after the pilots have turned on the seatbelt signs. Air has similar properties to water, but you just cannot see it. So we ride the air like ships ride the water. Only in fairness, we're more like a submarine. We are in the air, not on it like a ship. We are in the air like a submarine is in the water. Air is always there and there are no pockets of air with no air in them. 
it would be really easy to get complicated right now and talk about the different types of turbulence and how they are categorized and managed by the pilots. This will help some of you more technical people, but bore others. So I'm going to leave it at this. Turbulence is simply movement of air. Sometimes it's a small amount and sometimes it's bigger. The aircraft are much stronger than they need to be. Just because you don't like turbulence does not mean you are in danger. So lastly, some other weather. Rain is not a problem. Snow and ice, we have procedures of that and lots of things in place to make sure we can fly safely. And windy days, we love it. Pilots see a windy day differently to you. You see turbulence. Pilots see free extra lift because they know how to make best use of it. So here's some cruise thoughts to put to bed. Flying at night or flying over the sea. These two things I've heard many, many times. Perhaps this is something that worries you also. Remember, safety-wise, the aircraft does not know it is day or night. It also makes no difference flying over the sea safety-wise. We always, at all times, know where the nearest suitable airports and runways are and carry more than enough fuel to get to them. Now to the approach. After a while, we need to land at a place that you've bought your ticket for. Therefore, landing is a good thing. So some of the thoughts and feelings as the ground is getting nearer, you might also see other aircraft out of the window. There'll be cabin crew bombing about, clearing in rubbish, checking seatbelts, lights flashing overhead. Clearly, this is not good. There will be engine change noises, might even feel a bit floaty as coming into the landing part. And the cabin crew are using lots of secret bings and bongs to communicate secret messages of terror to each other. Seats upright, aisles and doorways clear, window blinds open, tables away. Reality. The pilots are in constant communication with air traffic control. They are preparing to land. The pilots are talking to each other, checking and cross-checking. The whole time that you're on approach, the pilots are constantly checking everything is as it should be ready to take action if needed. As you come into land, you'll see lots of buildings whizzing by really fast, flaps coming up on the wings. You might even hear a loud bump, depends on where you're sitting on the aircraft, and reverse thrust noises. Then, quieter engine noises. Many people think this is the most dangerous part of the flight. Of course, it's all dangerous, but this part is the winner on the terrorometer and many people feel relieved to be alive. Like, goodness for that, got away with another near-death experience. So the reality is, the pilots are following a predetermined plan to land. Speed, height, flap settings, all to a plan. People love a gentle landing. I've heard many say, that was a good landing, meaning it was a soft landing. During pilot training, you're taught to land firmly. In fact, a firm landing is a good landing. Maybe not for you. I have heard the cabin crew tease the pilots after firm landing. What happened to the landing then? Were we shot down? However, the aircraft are braced to land with all that weight. A floaty, perfectionist pilot trying to land and just gently kiss the tarmac uses up runway. Once you've got the rear wheels down, the lift can be destroyed on the wings by putting up the spoilers. These will look like big sheets of metal on top of the wings. 
Wings just want to fly and they don't particularly want to sit on the ground not doing much. So that's why it's important to destroy the lift. And if it is raining, the pilots will definitely land firmly as it breaks the water surface and allows the awesome brakes to do their work. So here we go, the go around. But what if it suddenly cannot land? You will notice a feeling of floating as we're coming into land. There is normally a bit of swaying sensation with the aircraft and you will hear the engine noise changing. As you get nearer to the ground, the speed that you're flying at becomes very evident to you as ground and buildings whoosh past at quite a rate. You might be feeling relief and thinking, thank goodness for that, nearly home, survived another one. And suddenly whoosh, the aircraft tips back. The engines get really loud and it feels like you're going up like a rocket. Familiar? You feel pushed back into your seat and you're completely convinced that there must be something really terrible has happened. What the hell is going on? So what's the reality? This can be very disturbing if you don't know to expect it. You have been in the mindset of phew, we're landing soon and now you are not again. There is a lot of incorrect information out there about this procedure. The most important thing to say is that it's always about safety first. From the moment the pilot started the descent, the possibility of a go-around had been considered. All the way down to the runway, the pilots are preparing to do this manoeuvre. There is enough fuel to do this, there are alternative airports they can go to if needed, and they have the fuel to do it. The air traffic control prepared for this manoeuvre and this is with every aircraft that comes into land. There are cleared paths and procedures exactly for this purpose. Once you've taken off again, you'll be in clear air and then either told to come back round to land or put into a holding pattern for a while. Then you'll be routed back into land, all carefully controlled by air traffic control. So why the need for a go-around? There are many reasons and here are just a few. So maybe the aircraft that landed before has taken too long to get off the runway at the other end, so it's safer to go around. Maybe there's some debris on the runway. Or perhaps air traffic control tell you so as to maintain the minimum separation between each aircraft. It is always safety first. The pilots are trained to do this manoeuvre and practice it every time they go into the simulator every six months. And just to be clear, the simulators are as near to flying an aircraft as you can get. Full movement, all the controls, noises, visuals, etc. Nothing like the public get to see. In fact, the pilots love a good go around and I promise you it is not done just for the hell of it. Generally, the pilots are just there. And we say, a good flight is a boring flight. Chapter 7. The Change Burger I want to introduce you to a way of thinking that helps when changing a pattern of beliefs or thoughts about anything. It's called the Change Burger because I want you to imagine a beef burger or a veggie burger which has two buns with a filling in the middle. So imagine that burger. In this model, the top bun is the head part. The head part represents thoughts that we fill our heads with. 
and the bottom bun represents our body, sensations and what we do with our body. The filling in the burger represents the inner feelings which are either our desired state or what is going on for us and our beliefs about ourselves. For example, if I have no confidence, I have low self-esteem, or I am a confident person that can do anything. The model is drawn like this to demonstrate an outside-in approach to changing a thought or pattern of behaviour you don't like about yourself. You eat a burger from the outside-in and you get to the centre bit, the filling, last. The idea behind the change burger model is that it shows us that we can take an outside-in approach when it comes to dealing with unhelpful behaviours and feelings. It's not the whole answer, but it's an approach which is easier to grasp, to practice, and you can see the results a little bit quicker. So here is an example of that approach and how it might work with pattern changing. So the filling, the desired state. I want to feel more confident. To actually feel more confident truly takes a bit of time to change. So an approach could be that we look at a way to act as if you did feel confident already. So if you did feel confident already, what would be going on in the head and body of a person that did feel confident? Body approach. If you were acting as if you were a confident person, how would you walk, talk, stand? What sort of words would come out of your mouth and how would you say them? So taking an outside-in approach means that you could now do those things as if you were a confident person. Treat it as an experiment and try a small behavioural change one bit at a time. The burger is made up of three parts that are all connected. So changing behaviour in one area will affect the other areas too. In other words, how you feel and what is happening in your head. So a head approach. In your head are thoughts. No surprise. What are you saying to yourself about your own confidence? Are you talking yourself out of situations by giving yourself a damn good mental kicking? I'm so rubbish at these sort of things. But a head approach, or one of them, means this. It is hard to change all of those negative thoughts into positive ones, so don't. I would like you to simply count them in future. As you approach a situation that you feel unconfident in, simply count how many times you talk to yourself negatively about it. This is part of an acceptance approach. By noticing how often you are having these thoughts, you've now made a purely unconscious, doing its own thing, pattern become conscious. Once it is conscious, i.e. we're aware of it, we can do something about it. If we change our thought process, it affects our feelings and what our body will do, because everything is connected. So the body part of the change burger includes physical sensations and feelings, how we walk, how we stand, what we are doing with our bodies in terms of breathing, our posture. A recap. So the desired state, that's the filling in the burger, works best when we describe in very clear terms what you want and state it in positive language. I find that saying, I want to feel relaxed when I fly, I want to enjoy flying, 
I want to see myself smiling. I would like to be able to sleep on the flight. These are more helpful goals to set ourselves. The opposite of this is, I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be not in control. I don't want to freak out. Or perhaps less helpful. These are not so helpful because it is focusing your brain on what you don't want. And as we are goal-orientated creatures, it could drive you towards the very thing you're trying to avoid thinking about. Here is a fact. You are not in control of the flight. This is a good thing. In fact, you're not really in control of your thoughts either. They just rattle on without you doing anything. So let's try some experiments with your thinking. Experiment one. If you were a fearless flyer, what would you say to yourself in your head? How would you walk onto an aircraft? What would a confident flyer look like? When you think of someone you know who is a confident flyer, how do they walk onto that aircraft? Experiment two. Don't think of your right knee. Don't think of your right knee. What happens? You think of your knee. It's important to notice what your thought patterns are doing. Focusing your brain on what you want rather than what you don't want is more helpful. In the next couple of chapters, I'm going to focus it on a little bit more around the head work and the body work to give you some tools to use straight away. Chapter 8, Head Work. In this chapter, I'm going to focus a bit more on some of the ways our thought processes might work for us or even against us. Most of the time, the thoughts that rage through our head just run riot. If you were to stop and listen to your own thoughts, it would drive you crazy. If you do yoga or meditation, you will know exactly what I mean. At the point you're trying to clear your mind, you'll suddenly be flooded with thoughts about all the jobs you've been putting off. Your brain just moans to itself all the time. Thousands of thoughts every second bombing round and round your head. Thoughts are not facts, they're just electrical impulses that move around your head. Some psychologists believe our negative thoughts were actually an evolutionary advantage. Our anxious and more fearful ancestors would have lived longer because they were fearful of anything they didn't understand. And we still have a part of that in our brains now, despite how clever we all think we are as humans. And thoughts are powerful things, but they are also just thoughts. I could think, I'm a satsuma. It is a thought. But it's not true, no matter how much I think it is. There is a lot of complicated but helpful research out there regarding thought patterns. But for ease of explanation, I'm going to simplify them. When it comes to your thought processes, there are basically only two types of thoughts. Helpful and unhelpful. Helpful thoughts. Here are a few ideas that you can try out. Give yourself a break. How about this? Instead of trying to control your thoughts or beating yourself up, I must think positive, or I'm just mad and that's all there is to it, or I was born this way and there's nothing I can do about it, dot, dot, dot. 
give yourself permission to just accept that you have loads of thoughts rumbling through your head, just like everyone else. You don't have to control them. Just notice them and pay no heed. Maybe if you notice that there are certain similar types of thoughts that repeat, you could consider giving that cluster or pattern of thoughts a name. And the name is to acknowledge what is happening automatically in your head. For example, oh, that was my doom thought for today. Or that was my claustrophobia thoughts again. You get the idea. Flying is just simply magic. I have concluded, after 20 years of listening to commercial pilots talking about the physics of flying, that it is in fact just magic. Clearly it is not magic. However, when I try to describe how the air pressure difference sucks on the aircraft wing, sucking it into the air, I can see the same look on people's faces always. You must be talking rubbish. How can air do all that? How can it lift a 400-ton aircraft? It defies logic. Well, actually, it confirms logic. It confirms physics. I live near an airport and I can see these big lumps of beautiful metal leaping into the air. Every three minutes or so, one of them does it again. I think it's about time that maybe we just say to ourselves, I don't really know how it works. It just does. In answer to the question, how does it work? The answer must be, well, very well, actually. You know, the powerful force that lifts it is always there, whether you understand it or believe it. Air doesn't care, it's always there. There is power in air. Drive down the motorway, safely I add, and hold your hand out the window. That is real power sending your hand back. Make a wing shape with your hand and you will experience lift. That is only 60 miles an hour. Imagine what lift 400 miles per hour will generate and with a big enough hand or wing, how much power would that create? Turbulence rebranded. Without fail, if you say the word turbulence to a nervous flyer, they don't like it. Maybe it's time to look at it differently. It is time Turbulence had a rebrand. Recently I was stood on a train platform in Leeds, UK. I heard an announcement that went something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, for those passengers on platform 4, please stand back as there is a fast train approaching which will cause turbulence. It was music to my ears. It turns out that turbulence is not the sole prerogative of aircraft after all. Turbulence just means movement of air. So now, turbulence is branded, or rebranded, movement of air. Air moves. There is not a great deal that you can do about it. In fact, what right do you have to expect it to be smooth when you get up there anyway? The aircraft ride through the air like a large ship in the waves. A ship moves up and down with the waves. Aircraft do the same. I fell a thousand feet on my flight, though. I've heard many people say that. Sorry to be the bearer of good news. No, it didn't. It felt like it did, but it didn't. It doesn't. Your flight could have changed altitude 1,000 feet, but not instantly. 
it would have been over a distance of miles. You are whizzing along at 400, 500 miles an hour. How could you suddenly drop a thousand feet? A few feet is possible, but a thousand? On board an aircraft, you have no visual references to gauge how far you have dropped. Humans do not come fitted with altimeters. You cannot measure a drop against a fluffy cloud that you passed at 500 miles an hour. It is our flawed balance system in our ears plus our overactive imaginations that fills in the gaps. Think flexibly. Many humans find it comforting to plan their flights to have the whole thing mapped out exactly. I believe it is useful to plan before going away, but, and this is a huge but, we have to be careful planning too. The idea of a plan, I suggest, is a start point, but plans change. You might have worked out that the flight is exactly three hours long and that you are okay for three hours of flying, but then the flight is delayed. We don't get to land at the exact time we should have done. This can completely wobble some humans. I recommend think flexibly. Have a plan, but don't be beholden to it. If you don't get the exact seat you want, or the flight is delayed, or you forget to bring your lucky charm you always travel with, or many other things that can change, it is okay. It does not mean anything in terms of safety. Letting go of the rules you have set in your head around flying feels liberating. Rituals are examples of non-flexible thinking, such as, I will only fly during the day. I must sit at the front. I must board the aircraft first. I will only fly on routes that have less turbulence. Thinking flexibly means, at the heart of this, you have to let go of some of the rituals and fix thinking. How about this? My core belief I'm working on is that I am a strong, capable and rational human being. Fundamentally, I know I'm safe. I might not like the feeling of flying sometimes. Other times, I might feel unsure of what is going on. However, I know that I'm okay and it will be okay. I often say to people, why not try this phrase the next time it is turbulent? Come on, weather, do your worst, bring it on! As long as you have your seatbelt on, I promise no harm will come to you. Let's look at the other group of thoughts. I offer you eight unhelpful thought patterns. These are some of the things that people have said to me over the years. These are all from normal, intelligent humans just like you. The reason I share them is that when you recognise something that you do or did, you can reassure yourself that you're in fact a normal person. You've just got into some unhelpful thinking patterns. I have deliberately made this section light-hearted out of respect because humans, as you know, have the ability to laugh at ourselves and this is helpful. And we can say, that is right, why am I doing that to myself? Also, we can consider the power of perception. What you perceive to be true is true for you. The reality can be something quite different. I'm going to offer you some of the unhelpful thought patterns I have heard over the years, and I also add another perspective after each of the patterns below. Pattern number one, listing. Sometimes called the dominoes or the multiplier effect. 
So one thing happened and then this thing. And I thought, bad luck comes in threes. This thought pattern has an energy all of its own. Example, I just booked my flight to Tenerife. Then my sister told me about a flight she'd come back from Tenerife that plummeted from the sky. Then another person I worked with told me about their awful flight back from Spain as well. And I remember that time about the ash clouds and Tenerife has an ancient volcano there. It must be a sign that I'm not meant to go. One of the things that I've noticed some helpful people do when you mention your fear of flying is proceed to tell you about their own plummet stories. If I may suggest, you need to simply say, let me just stop you there and then walk away. Even the most rational of people can sometimes fall into this trap and we have to be careful and catch ourselves falling into our primitive brain superstition. The expression in English of bad things always happen in threes is a classic superstition we have to watch for. Pattern number two, my belly never lies. Every weird movement or angle change your carefully calibrated stomach can detect and knows we're in peril. Of course, your stomach is more accurate than a spirit level or a pilot's altitude instruments in the flight deck. I just don't feel safe up there. I can't believe it is safe. I know that I'm going to die. There are definitely some people out there who are more motion sensitive. However, I have found that anyone who is a nervous flyer over relies on the sensations in their body as they struggle to make sense of what is happening. I've even heard people say to me, I don't like roller coasters, so uh, I won't like flying. Commercial aircraft hardly move. If you want exciting movement, commercial flying is not where you'll find it. Smooth, predictable, even boring, some might say, is what commercial aviation is about. However, for nervous flyers, you over-rely on the sensation your body tells you. This one begins with a body sensation which the mind interprets as a sign of doom, which is where the unhelpful thoughts come in. Your perception of what is happening is normally not that accurate. Your body is not calibrated like the aircraft instruments are. Be conscious of your feelings in your body and you will notice that thoughts immediately pop into your head that can be challenged. Oh my God, we are falling. Pattern number three, lose it. Open brackets, I'm going to any minute, close brackets. This is fundamentally about the fear of losing control over oneself and everybody looking at you. Best tactic, of course, is to just plan your life around anything that could cause this to happen. Many people have this fear and it can worry them so much that they just avoid the very thing that they are worried about. You must resist this. Please keep going. Just do a little bit every day towards beating the fear. It is a process after all, not a tick box exercise. When I ran courses, a lot of people used to say to me, I'm really worried about freaking out and everyone looking at me. So without meaning to sound smug, I was often comforted by Eleanor Roosevelt wisdom, which I will paraphrase. You would not worry what people thought of you if you realised how seldom they do. Pattern number four, the time police. 
I'm okay to fly short flights up to three hours. I cannot fly any further than that and definitely not long haul. I can never do that. If the flight takes longer than it says it should do, then I am not safe. This pattern is common and linked to the flexible thinking I mentioned earlier. However, you cannot control how long you are up there. The pilots and air traffic control work into a schedule. But sometimes delays happen. It doesn't mean anything unless you decide it does. Keeping a fixed rule about how long you can fly is not helpful to you. Now you recognise this pattern. Perhaps you can give yourself permission to ease the rules a little? Pattern number five. Weather reporter. This particular pattern means checking all the weather that you are likely to encounter on the way to the flight, at the airport, and every mile along the route, including the destination airport. You are better briefed than the weather service and even possibly than the pilots. You might have certain weather or aviation apps on your phone to keep you up to date with any changes as they happen. You also have amazing powers of being able to just lock up in the sky and predict the weather and potential turbulence and of course a bad flight. Oh my God, look at those clouds. Checking the weather makes no difference to the flight, only to you. Let the pilots and flight planners worry about this, please. There are really strict rules about whether we can take off and land in. We are generally rooted around horrible weather. Plus, remember, the aircraft are much, much stronger than they ever will need to be. Another interesting fact is that nervous flyers are often reassured by a sunny day. A sunny day in their mind means smooth flying. But the reality is that you have swells of warm air, which will cause movement of air. The bottom line is this. Regardless of the weather outside the window, it is either safe to fly or it isn't. There are too many strict limits around this. You need to let the planners, pilots and air traffic control take care of it. Pattern number six. Nostradamus. The ability to tell the future. You do not have superpowers. You do not have the power to say, I just know when I fly, it will be the one. As far as we know, anyway. This belief is fantastic because you're able to predict the future when it comes to aircraft disaster. If you recognise this thought pattern, it is a well-known cluster of thoughts that people can fall into. I repeat something that I truly do believe to be true. You are a normal person that's just gotten into an unhelpful thought pattern. Once you can recognise this, you can do something about it. Pattern number seven, conspiracy. The captain speaks over the PA and says, uh, we're going to be delayed for a short time to sort out a minor technical problem. Straight away, your particular gift here is to know that they are covering something up. And basically, even though they do fix it, and they're probably lying about that, it isn't safe to fly anyway. This is a popular thought cluster. You are reading things into the situation that are not there. I often describe it like this. Part of you wants to get rid of the fear, and another part of you actually wants to keep the fear. Looking at it rationally, if anyone believes something is a threat to their life, they will be fearful of it. Being fearful of things can keep us alive, so in a way it has a positive purpose even if your family and friends don't get it. With that in mind, your brain will be scanning for danger all the time. So listening avidly to every announcement over the PA will be part of that. 
As you listen to the pilot's announcement intently, part of you will be hoping for good news and the other part will be suspicious. Pattern number eight. Stand-in pilot. You are on high alert. You are going to concentrate for the whole flight to make sure the flight stays safe. Thank goodness for people like you concentrating in the back of the aircraft. If you weren't concentrating the whole flight, how on earth would it be safe? Some people just don't get it, do they? If you could see how much testing your pilots have to pass every six months in full motion commercial simulators, you would be gobsmacked and reassured. If I was to take all of your worst fears and scenarios re-flying and put them together in a list, then that is what the pilots have to practice in the simulator and pass every six months. Reassuring? Hopefully I have not lost your goodwill. These observations were meant with good intentions. If we can spot ourselves doing something, once we become aware, it gives us choices. Now we can choose to notice what we are doing and maybe act on it. As I said earlier, our perception of what is happening and the evidence-based reality are not always the same thing. Chapter 9. Bodyworks. Will you just sit there? Here is an experiment. You won't do it because you're listening to me on this, but I will try anyway. A friend of mine taught me this technique. Sit in the chair that you're in right now as if you are sitting in your most comfortable chair at home. Let the chair take your weight and sink into the chair. Notice how your breathing is. Notice that you're probably feeling quite calm. Now, imagine that you're sitting in the chair as if you're sitting on the aircraft in an aircraft seat. Please do it. What do you notice? Your breathing has probably changed and you may not feel relaxed anymore. What's the point? When you move your body into certain positions, it remembers what feelings, etc. go with that body shape or position. If you are able to sit on an aircraft seat the same way that you sit in your most comfortable chair at home, well, you'd be able to start retraining your body and brain as to what to feel when flying. And breathe. Breathing is quite important, I reckon. But, and it's a big but, you need to do a certain type of breathing. Counting and breathing is the suggestion here. Sorting your breathing out and sort out the rest of your body, and here is how. There are six steps. This is called the 448 method. First of all, blow out through your mouth hard. Breathe in through your nose to the count of four. And pause for the count of four. And now breathe out through your mouth to the count of eight, if you can manage that. Pause for the count of two, then back to breathing in through your nose to the count of four. Pause for the count of four, then breathe out slowly through your mouth 
to the count of eight. This is the technique that you can do any time and the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. But you'll start to notice that your breathing regulates itself. Practice this technique in a non-threat situation and then when you use this technique in a less comfortable situation, you will find it easier to do. There is also a short reminder, a short relaxation practice in the final chapter, which uses this technique as part of it. A good way to practice this breathing would combine it with some gradual exposure to things that would normally cause you to worry. You could start by visiting an airport, going for a coffee and then just sitting in the environment practicing the breathing. Becoming more familiar with the airport is just a place of work where people go about their lives can be very, very helpful. If you are a nervous traveller, whether it is once a year or once a week, airports are linked to your fear. Regular travellers get very impatient with queuing and security checks. They often rush through the airport to get it over and done with. The problem with this is that you're always in a state of heightened annoyance which gets wrapped up in the fear of flying bundle of things. Nervous holiday travellers find the airport an alien environment that you just have to grin and bear it, so to speak. Hate being prodded and searched and find it all overwhelming due to a lack of familiarity. Many have told me that the airport is the big moment that they realise they are going flying. This is it. So fake it till you believe it. How would you walk, stand or sit when confident flying? Upright, shoulders relaxed, hands by your side, looking straight ahead, breathing normal and moderate. How do you walk, stand or sit when nervous? Hunched over, shoulders get higher, breathing faster and more shallow, looking at the floor, wringing your hands or tapping. What would be the worst that would happen if you were to walk onto an aircraft like you believed you were going to be okay? What if you sat in the seat like you were confident and okay? It is a cheesy phrase, but the first three letters of a confidence are con. Why not act as if you are confident until you start to feel confident? Our mind and body are totally linked to each other. Think about a time you've gone for an interview for a job or had to do a presentation. You would normally wear certain clothes that make you feel confident. Just think about that sort of preparation. If you're doing something important, you normally will have a plan of action. You'll dress a certain way, walk a certain way, you might even have things you say to yourself to get yourself in the right mood for succeeding. These are natural things to do. Preparing yourself for a flight is no different. It is an amazing thing to do. It is something special and will get you across a large distance in a short space of time. Imagine that. In chapter 10, I'm going to give you some helpful strategies and thoughts you can pick from to plan for your future flights. Organise your space. This is your space for the next however many hours. Keep it clear. If you have things you don't immediately need, put them overhead. Air vents on to control your temperature. Have what you need nearby, books, iPad, etc. Keep your water and snacks nearby. Work out where everything is, the toilets, the cabin crew galleys, the exits. Makes you feel more in control of your own space 
and that is comforting in itself. Maybe leave your space at regular intervals for a walk, grab a drink or use the toilet. It's more natural and helps your body to feel less trapped. When would you ever at home sit in a small chair with no legroom and not move for eight hours? The experience of flying is not natural, so why pretend it is? Your job is to make it as comfortable as possible to get to your destination, which is why you're on it in the first place. Chapter 10 Strategies and Tips for Future Flying Headwork Be careful what you let into your head. Watching YouTube and Googling aircraft incidents and crashes will not help you. Focusing on the few and far between accidents and incidents gives you a distorted view of commercial aviation safety. Turbulence is just movement of air. Turbulence is not able to harm you if you have your seatbelt on. The pilots are trained to deal with everything that can happen. Let them worry about the flying, not you. If aircraft are claustrophobic, then why isn't everyone claustrophobic in an aircraft? Maybe it's your thoughts. Trust the staff. Think of all the people that are trained, regulated and monitored that have come together to make your flight safe today. Think flexibly. Let go of some of the unhelpful rituals one at a time. Stop checking the weather. Flight planning, air traffic control and the pilots are doing that anyway. It is either safe to fly or it isn't. There are strict limits around snow, crosswinds, storms. If you're flying, it's safe. Safety first always. An airline with no safety is not in business. Safety is therefore our business. We continually learn in commercial aviation so that mistakes don't repeat. You are safer because of this. We are constantly monitoring security threats and this is what makes commercial aviation a difficult target for terrorists. We have processes in place. Think of your journey as exactly that. It's just a way of getting from A to B, like every other journey you do in your life. The only difference is that it is the safest way to travel compared to all the other risky areas you never gave a thought to. You don't have to love flying to be able to fly comfortably. To be honest, I love the flying part. I often find myself thinking when checking in and going through security, this is such a pain in the butt and it takes forever. It takes forever to make it safer. Bodywork. Practice how to use your breathing properly to relax yourself. Chapter 12, you can listen to whenever you want to. Plus, there are many apps out there that can help you, such as headspace.com for mindfulness. Get there early. Organise yourself. Learn about the destination you're going to. It helps you feel prepared and more in control. Wear layers as it equals temperature control. Buy water at the airport. Dry mouth makes you feel worse and aircraft can feel dehydrating sometimes. Eat. Bring snacks. Low sugar can make you feel giddy. Why not stay the night before? It stops you rushing to the airport. 
Fly direct if you can afford it. Go large. Exit seats have more room. Great for claustrophobic feelings. Bigger seats, more room, less people. Different experience. If you're motion sensitive, sit nearer to the middle of the aircraft. The wing moves the least amount. The very front and the very rear move the most. No difference to safety, just might feel different. But consider, is this an example of non-flexible thinking in case it becomes a safety ritual? Consider window or aisle. Aisle means you can get up when you want to, but you can't sleep if someone else wants to get out. Window means you can calibrate yourself a little better to the outside conditions. Look around the aircraft, not at the floor or the back of your seat only. This gives a false perception of what is actually going on and your imagination will run riot. And lastly, the bottle of water spirit level. Put a bottle of water in front of you on your table and watch how little it moves during takeoff, landing, turning and turbulence. You'll be surprised. Chapter 11. Some final thoughts. You can totally do this. Despite what your body sensations and head thoughts are doing, the aircraft are stronger and more flexible than you believe. Turbulence does not bother the aircraft, or the pilots for that matter. The aircraft are not bothered by most weather, including lightning strikes, and we keep a legal distance from storms, not because the aircraft can't cope, but for your comfort reasons. The aircraft are inspected, maintained and serviced and adhere to regulated maintenance schedules. This is not negotiable. There are teams of professional people planning your flight and every other flight that will take off and land today. There are backup systems for everything. There is no one thing of anything. There are two to four autopilots, separate computer systems, two, three or four pilots, depending on the length of the journey. In other words, no single point of failure. Pilots are trained, monitored and tested constantly. How good would we all be as drivers if we had to resit our driving tests every six months? Pass or fail. This is what commercial pilots have to do every six months. Pass or fail. Cabin crew and pilots do safety training together, including human factors training. This is a huge part of the reason commercial aviation is so safe now. Training to minimise the human error element. And there is more security in place than you will ever know about. So let's cast our mind back to the five pillars of this book. Pillar number one, fear of flying is not innate. At some point in your life, you learned it. That means you can always learn something new and it's never too late. Pillar number two, your commercial aviation knowledge has got some serious gaps. In fact, most of what you believe to be happening or have heard about is probably nonsense. Pillar number three, fear of flying is rational, except you've done an incorrect risk assessment. It's your perception of risk that needs a lot of work. Pillar number four. As humans, we can laugh at ourselves and we can stop ourselves doing things that are unhelpful. No other human can master his or her 
basic instincts like humans can. We can stop, look at what we're doing, learn to laugh ourselves and change it. Pillar number five, you are disrespecting yourself. You're seriously underestimating how resourceful you are and what you're capable of. And I totally know that you can shift this fear and your fear has stopped you making choices about how you travel. And your fear has also impacted lots of other people in your life right now. And you've been disrespecting all the lessons that have been learned the hard way in commercial aviation. Commercial aviation has become so safe because we have learned from the mistakes in the past. And please remember, flying is such a great gift for us all to experience. Being able to fly comfortably gives us choices about how we spend our time. Do not have to love flying to accept that it's safer than you believe. Take care and happy flying. Chapter 12. Fear of flying relaxation. Please do not play this whilst driving. So first of all, make sure you're in a quiet place to relax with no interruptions. Find a comfortable seat to sit in or lie down on your bed. Let your hands rest on your lap by your side. Now close your eyes. I'm going to teach you how to use timed breathing to give you the power to relax yourself whenever you need to. You can do this any time you like, whenever you want to feel calm and relaxed. And it is easy. It's really easy. You'll be amazed how easy it is to feel calmer whenever you need to. Take a slow, deep breath in through your nose to the count of four. Hold for the count of two, and then breathe out slowly through your mouth to the count of six. Do this three more times, and each time you breathe out, do this as slowly as you feel comfortable to do. Breathing in through your nose for the count of four. Hold for the count of two and breathe out from your mouth to the count of six. Slowing your out breath is one of the secrets to calming your breathing, your heart rate and calming your mind. As I talk to you, keep concentrating on your breath and let all the other background noises just fade away. Nothing is more important right now than taking a few minutes just for you. A few minutes to practice relaxation skills. Breathing in through your nose, hold for a couple of seconds and breathing out as slowly as you can through your mouth. Notice when you start to feel a bit 
靠吗？ Allow the chair or bed to fully take your weight, and just concentrate on your breathing. In through your nose and slowly out through your mouth. Start to notice when the tension in your body subsides. With every breath you take, you'll become more and more relaxed. With every breath that you take, you'll be calmer and calmer, more and more relaxed. Take a scan of your whole body and notice where there is tension. As you breathe in, tighten your whole body's muscles, and as you breathe out, loosen your muscles. Breathe in through your nose, tighten your whole body's muscles, and as you slowly breathe out, loosen your muscles. Do this three more times. Now scan your body and notice where any tension still exists. Tighten and loosen that area as you breathe in and out. Until you feel more and more relaxed, just allow yourself to completely flop. Just notice as your body becomes more relaxed and your mind becomes calmer and stiller. Random thoughts might fill your mind. Just let them come and go, and pay no attention to them. This is your time to relax. As you are relaxing, we can take some time to remember all the reasons that why you wanted to beat your fear of flying. Just take a moment to focus on all the things that flying fearless will enable you to do. Focus on all the great experiences you will encounter being able to fly without this anxiety and fear. Think of all your friends and family that will be able to enjoy flying with you from now onwards. Think of all those opportunities you will be able to say yes from now onwards. To concentrate on your breathing again, breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. With every breath you take, you will notice you become more and more relaxed. Remind yourself how resourceful you are, how confident and competent you are. You know that you can beat this fear. It's going to be okay. In the past, you may have had some unhelpful thinking patterns, but you are starting to get rid of these more and more every day. Till eventually, you'll just wonder how you didn't love flying before now. 
who'll be amazed at your ability to cope. You'll be that calm person sitting on the aircraft that other people can look to. You're reminding yourself how strong and capable you are. Notice how your breathing is making you feel calmer and calmer and more and more relaxed. Notice how heavy your body is feeling as you completely flop into a deeper relaxation. Calmer and calmer. Deeper and deeper. More and more relaxed. Think of all the great information you now have that can prepare yourself better for flying comfortably from here onwards. You can be free of flying fear. That is who you used to be. But things are going to be different from now onwards. Remember, you were not born with this fear of flying. You learned it, and it's never too late to learn something new. And remember, aircraft are stronger than they need to be. There are professional teams of people in place looking after every flight, including yours. Your pilots and cabin crew are highly trained professionals whose purpose is to look after you and keep you safe. You're in safe hands. Your journey is just a journey to get somewhere that you need to be, just safer than any other journey. And remember, you are strong, capable and resourceful. Go back to your breathing, breathing in through your nose for the count of four, hold for the count of two, and then slowly out through your mouth to the count of six or longer if you are able. Notice how calm your body is feeling and that your mind is still. Controlling the outbreath is the secret to calming your breathing, your heart rate and your mind. You'll find that the more times you practice this relaxation, the easier and quicker it will be to become calm. Every time you practice this relaxation, it will have a cumulative effect and it will get easier. Breathing in through your nose for the count of four. Holding your breath for the count of two. And breathing out as slowly as you can through your mouth perhaps for the count of six or longer you can manage it repeat this three more times breathing in holding and releasing slowly through your mouth 
whenever you want to feel calm and relaxed, all you have to do is breathe like this. Whenever you want to feel calm, all you need to do is to take three slow, deep breaths like we've been practicing today. You can do this anytime you feel uneasy and no one needs to know you're doing it. It is your secret relaxation method to help you feel calm whenever you need to. Breathing in through your nose, pausing and out slowly through your mouth. Breathing in through your nose, pausing and slowly out through your mouth. Enjoy this feeling for as long as you like. Take your time and only when you are ready you can open your eyes. Helping you to overcome fear of flying. Written and narrated by Paul Tizard. Helping you to overcome fear of flying. Written and narrated by Paul Tizard. Special thanks to Chris Rowlinson for the two pieces of music called Opening and Relaxing, both composed and performed by Chris Rowlinson. You can find more information at his website, chrisrowlinson.com and all of his albums of relaxing music, including these tracks, can be found on Spotify, Apple Music and all good online stores. Book cover and audio editing by Trevor Reevely of Lunatics Graphics Arts Limited. You can view more of his work at lunatics.co.uk. The End <laughs>